It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. Two moms looking for inspiration wherever wherever we we can can find it. it. Welcome and thanks for joining us on the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. This is episode 120. I'm Teresa and with me is... Hi, this is Colleen. And we have a great episode for you. I'm going to talk about a guy named Sid Bush a Navy veteran and a runner who's honoring fallen soldiers. And with some sadness, I'm going to talk a little bit about President Jimmy Carter, who has led an incredible and full life. But as of this recording, he's in hospice care, surrounded by his family. Yes. And then Colleen will be talking about the Super Bowl sign language performers, Justina Miles and Troy Kotzer, which I hear they were the MVPs. Yes. So Yes, yes. Get ready to be inspired. So, Colleen, how was your week last week? It was good. I'm finally recovering. You guys might still hear me sound a little nasally. (laughs) I apologize in advance. But my daughter that dances at U of O was at a competition this weekend in Anaheim. Oh, for some reason I was thinking it was Florida. Nope. Okay. Florida last month, Anaheim this month. And... They actually got third place. So exciting. Third in the nation. So exciting. Uh, yes, we were very excited. I told my husband, I'm laughing, crying, and clapping all at the same time. Uh, but that's typical me. Yeah. So They have worked really so hard. For us. They have Just been working very hard. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Well, yay. Yes. Excited about that. That's cool. Trying to get to know each other. Yes. I'm curious what makes you feel old when you think about it. Well, when my youngest daughter, the one I was just talking about, first got her cell phone, mm. I think she finally realized that not everybody always had cell phones, <laughs> right? <laughs> they were kind of newer. Yeah. And she said to me, so you're telling me when you were a kid, the phone rang, a boy could call, and anybody could answer the phone? <laughs> like your mom and dad? I said, <laughs> yep. And... We didn't know who it was that was calling. <laughs> you had to get up, walk to the phone. Correct. The cord, you had to like go around the it corner. It was a guessing game. <laughs> oh, but funny. I think her, her most thought was a boy could call and your parent would pick My up the answer. phone. Oh, that's hilarious. And that, I remember at that time made me feel really old. <laughs> what about you? I was feeling old this last weekend uh, <laughs> with a girlfriend from, actually, I've known her since grade school. We did a high tea. She oh, organized fun. Breakfast at Tiffany's theme, which was a blast. Yes. But as we're sitting there chatting, some of the ladies are talking about you know customer service and how it just isn't how it used to be. And we're all talking. And I just, in the moment, I was like, oh, my gosh. I have turned into that old person yes. that is growling about. Get annoyed easily. Yes, yeah. So I just, I felt a little old, so. Oh, boy. <laughs> Ouch. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so I'm excited to talk about, shockingly, sports today. <laughs> no. Actually, I just want to say, preface by saying about two years ago, I lost hearing in my left ear. And Which is absolutely insane because you're young. Youngish. <laughs> I think what I they don't know why. But anyways. And so I I guess I've been a little bit more cognizant of what's going on around me in the mm-hmm. deaf community, ASL. Of course, that has 
you're more sensitive more towards sensitive it. To and just, yeah. So I did notice during the little bit I watched of the Super Bowl, because my husband did have it on, <laughs> that they did have Justina Miles, who did ASL for halftime. So actually, there was actually three ASL performances mm-hmm. that day, which I did not realize. And I'm going to talk about two today. Okay. American Sign Language Interpreter, so ASL stands for American Sign Language, Justina Miles was the surprise star of Super Bowl 57. Miles performed twice during the event, first signing Cheryl Lee Ralph's pre-show rendition of Lift Every Voice and Sing. I don't remember seeing that, and I I watched that part. Okay. I did not. I only went to Google the... Halftime show. So. Yeah. Hmm. She then signed, which we saw, Rihanna's halftime okay. show. This is so interesting. I didn't know this. In turn, becoming the first deaf woman to provide ASL interpretation in Super Bowl halftime show history. I just think that's crazy. I know. I, I was kind of shocked by I that. I hope it'll be a thing from here on out. Me too. Yeah. Miles earned plenty of praise online for her energetic signing of Rihanna's performance, which included renditions of Umbrella, Diamonds, and Work. This is also really amazing. This girl's really talented. She first rose to notoriety in 2020 after a video of her signing a verse of rapper Lil Kim's 1997 hit Crush on You went viral on Twitter. So that's how she was found. She was also part of the USA team that went to the 2021 and 22 Deaf Olympics in Brazil, hmm. where she won a silver medal as part of the 4x100 women's track relay team, according to CNBC. Wow. I know. I, so she's an athlete, yeah. too. She is also a nursing student. You really are talking sports today. Yes. <laughs> Mark it on the calendar. So... On top of all that, like I said, she's a um, nursing student at Bowie State University. And what girl? I've known about nursing, it is it is intense. Yeah. So she's she's very busy. Uh, prior to performing at Super Bowl 57, Miles told CNBC that she hopes her performance will inspire others to not let any obstacles prevent you from achieving your dreams and to always believe in yourself to go beyond. I love, love, love that. I do too. So- I loved it. It's an important moment not only for me to share this experience with the whole world, but to really bring that empowerment to millions and millions of Black deaf people all over the country who've never really seen that before. I feel that it is truly lifting every voice, even my voice. Oscar-winning actor Troy Kutzer performed the national anthem in ASL. I have to admit, even though he's an Oscar winner, I didn't recognize his name, but I should have. Oh, I'll tell you why. <laughs> In 2019, Kotzer became the first deaf actor to act in a Star Wars production. Oh, my gosh. When he appeared as a Tusken Raider in an episode of The Mandalorian. Ah, now I'm going to have to go back and look. Yep. You, you might recognize. Mandalorian on tomorrow. Or I know. No, Wednesday. Very March excited. Wednesday. So he appeared in Chapter 5, the Gunslinger episode of The Mandalorian. Right, doing that. This is when our bounty hunter encounters a pair of Tusken Raiders on Tatooine. He must negotiate with them for a free passage along their land. So he communicates in their native sign language and gets the deal done. Kotzer plays one of the Tusken Raiders, but he's hidden behind layers of prosthetics Uh, and unrecognizable. 
but he's doing sign language. Right. Cutzer also helped the show's creators come up with the Tuscan sign language. That's so cool. I know. I loved it. The Oscar winner was initially brought in to help with the sign language for the show. So he turned to Star Wars lore for inspiration as opposed to using the traditional American sign language. <laughs> For example, the sign Mandalorian was based on the shape of the character's helmet and the M hand shape. So I thought that was really neat. As viewers, it's easy to overlook the smaller details that go into bringing certain scenes to life. However, Kutzer's work actually enriched the Tuscan mythos and the Star Wars universe. And every time you watch stuff like that, you notice new stuff. Yes. Because of, you know, yes. people like that doing it's just neat stuff. Neat stuff. And in 2022, he made history as the first deaf male to be nominated for an Academy Award, and he won the Academy Award. What did he win the Academy Award for? It was for a movie called Coda. Oh, okay. I have seen, I have seen that. I know I mean, he I played seen the a movie, deaf but... dad in it, and he was a gruff character. I've heard really good things about it. I just okay. Sad, it, it, yeah. Might be one I need to put on my list. Yeah. Although, I definitely need to put it on my if list. If it's sad, I might not. <laughs> <laughs> I, but I have heard it's heartwarming. So okay, you know. I can do that. So I need I to put go back to chapter five, Mandalorian. Yes, watch that one again. Yes, and then put code on my. Yes, list. very cool. Um, just one more thing that you and I had discussed before that I did some research on is I had heard on TikTok that there was a link that you could get so that you could see ASL throughout the whole Super Bowl mm-hmm. instead of just those segments. Right, right. I did some research on that. I could not find that anywhere. Well, there um, should be. I know. I dug and dug and mm. dug. I went on the website that talked about, um, I think it's the National Association for the Deaf. Mm-hmm. They have a really good website about all the performers. Mm-hmm. And I really couldn't even find it there. So I wonder if I mm. heard it wrong. Or uh, if- Something wrong on TikTok? Right. Uh, one thing Shocking. that I did, did find that was really cool is there was a YouTube video called Football and Super Bowl Signs in ASL. Oh. So I thought that was really yeah, neat. How you could go on there and see all the signs for football. Well, and maybe with idea. them doing the sign language during the halftime show, that'll prompt them to maybe start adding the game yeah. too. Or just even have a separate link that somebody could have pulled up on their phone right. while they're watching right. the game. So yeah. I'm really excited to see where this takes us. Yeah, that's, I see why. Very yes. exciting. So I've been wanting to talk about Jimmy Carter for a long time. Yes. And with the recent news that he's in hospice care and planning to live out his final days at home with his family rather than a hospital, I thought it was a good time to, for us to chat about it. I'm him. so glad that you are. I'm excited to hear about this. I don't know a lot about him. I, I didn't either. And it's funny because I always say he was my favorite president, even though he was probably not a great president. I, but um, I'm trying to think how old, old we would have been when he was president. Um, 76. Okay. So Five. we were around. <laughs> <laughs> Barely. <laughs> so, I've admired this man for a long time, primarily for his work with Habitat for Humanity, yes. I mean, that's really what I... Yes, and, and um, I do know some of that, but right. I don't feel like I know a lot of details. Well, and I'm just touching <coughs> the surface on things. He's, I mean, he's 98 years old. He's lived oh, a wow. full life and I has guess been, I didn't realize that. 
Yeah, and he stayed so busy in yes. his. I mean, he's been teaching Sunday school and out there hammering. You That's know, probably building. why I didn't realize that he was nineteen. That old, because because he's, he's, yeah, he's still, still out and about, living, and active, living it up. Yes. So this former president, 98 years old, it's heartbreaking that after so many bouts with cancer and other health issues, he's finally acknowledging that this is his time. But I'm happy that he's surrounded by family and he's doing it in his way. And he has lived a long life. Yes, very long and full life. Yes. Full life for sure. So I'll talk a little bit about his presidency as he was the president of the United States from 1977 to 1981, but my focus will be on the man, not the president. Yes, that sounds great. For one, politics isn't so much my thing. I neither. <laughs> and two, I was in kindergarten and grade school during his presidency. But what has inspired me so much about Jimmy Carter is the stuff he did after his presidency. So that's what I'm going to focus on. James Earl Carter Jr. is not the typical guy you see elevated to the office of president of the United States. His background is pretty unique for a president. The first thing that separates him from every president before him is that Jimmy Carter was the first president to be born in a hospital. Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Yes. It doesn't seem like he's, I mean, I know he's 98, but that seems... Very unique to me for so some too. reason. Pretty interesting. Yes. So born on October 1st, 1924 in Plains, Georgia, he was born at the Wise Sanitarium where his mom, Bessie, who was known as Ms. Lily, worked as a registered nurse. His father, James Earl Carter, worked as a grocery store owner, a traveling salesman, and eventually a politician in the Georgia House of Representatives. Jimmy would later say that he learned his work ethic from his father, who worked from sunrise until dark. His father also invested money into buying farmland. The family moved several times and often lived in poor areas, largely populated by African Americans. Most of Jimmy's friends growing up were black. Despite his father's staunch pro-segregation stance, Jimmy didn't think anything of playing with the kids around him who were largely the children of black farmhands. Well, it's good he didn't prevent him from playing with yes, those children, though. That's that's true. <laughs> that's one good thing. Yes, yes. Jimmy wanted to play with the kids. They wanted to play. What difference did it make what the color of their skin was? Yep. They made their own toys and spent a lot of time rolling hoops and shooting their slingshots. They'd sometimes use corn cobs with a big nail sticking out of the end as darts to be fired from their slingshots. Oh. They just had to get creative with what they were going to play with. Make stuff with what you have. Yes. Fortunately, with those slingshots, they shot at targets and not each other. Right. Which kind of surprises me because... Well, that's what they boys. told you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> the children spent a lot of time hunting and fishing as well. His mother actually encouraged Jimmy to play with the black children on the farm and even had them eat lunch or play with Jimmy in his room. You have to remember, this was considered not proper at all in the deeply racist Georgian South. Hmm. So while Jimmy's father was racist, like most Southerners of that time, he could be compassionate towards the blacks who were tenants on his farm. Jimmy's mother, on the other hand, largely ignored social prejudices. Okay. I think I would have been really, I, I just, maybe I need to do just a whole episode on Miss Lillian. No, because Miss Lillian. Yeah, because I love this woman. She was one of the few nurses that would make house calls to both white and black families in the area. And while this raised a lot of brows, 
especially among their church congregation, Miss Lillian didn't care. And she said that they were too rich to ostracize them. So she told it like it was. Good for her. She was just considered eccentric, and her frequent steps crossing race lines were just considered to be one of those quirks. Her attitudes towards race deeply impacted young Jimmy, who never adopted the prevailing Southern attitude of white superiority that was prevalent at the time. Jimmy's home in Archery, Georgia, had no running water, no electricity or insulation. The only source of heat was the kitchen stove and a fireplace. And they were considered rich. (laughs) Yes. Can I just put that out there? Uh, They had an outhouse, and at one point, their father installed a windmill capable of pumping water. It it does get better. (laughs) Um, And used part of that water to build an outdoor shower that had a bucket with holes as a shower head. Despite the lack of these amenities, the Carter family was considered rich for the area. (laughs) Jimmy's parents owned about 360 acres and rented part of it to mostly black families who would farm the property. Jimmy's dad was careful with his money, and while they lived comfortably, they never lived extravagantly. Jimmy was the oldest of four children. His siblings were Gloria, Ruth, and Billy. Jimmy also spent a lot of time with his mother's side of the family, with lots of family gatherings with all the cousins, you know, the aunts and the uncles. And even though his dad's side lived like nine miles away, they rarely saw them. They spent very little time with the father's side. All the kids did the work on the farm, doing chores. Some of the items, like milk and vegetables that were grown on the farm, they sold in the father's store. I also read that Miss Lillian, if the kids were reading, they wouldn't interrupt them. So they didn't have to do chores if they were reading. She was that (laughs) into them, you know, keeping up on their studies, which I loved. The kids are like, we're just going to sit here and read for four hours. And Jimmy did. Right. So they would sell stuff in his store, and his father sometimes would add chocolate to some of the milk. So he and Jimmy would travel around selling containers of chocolate milk to other stores. When Jimmy was five, he started picking peanuts and putting them in a wagon to bring home. He'd pick the largest peanuts, he'd wash them, boil them in salty water, let them dry, and then divide them into sacks, which he would then walk into the plains about two miles away and sell on the street. Oh, my god! Five years old. He wouldn't come home until he sold all the peanuts. His only expenses were the bags and the salt, but he kept careful records of the money, and he deposited the funds at his uncle's grocery, which was used as the bank for the townsfolk there. Wow. He later used that peanut money to buy some houses in an estate sale, which he then rented out. In the town of Archery, we're... Industrious. I think it's the only word. I know. And precocious, probably. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Jimmy spent most of his childhood, there were about 200 residents, and the Carters and one other family were the only two white families in the town. The larger white community of Plains, Georgia, was a few miles away, and Jimmy's family would often travel to it for shopping or church. Later, Jimmy would attend an all-white school in Plains, He graduated from the 11th grade, since there was no 12th grade at that school, and became the first person on his father's side to graduate from high school, which is pretty cool. Yes. Carter was a good student, played basketball for school, and he was a member of the Future Farmers of America, which totally reminds me of Napoleon Dynamite. Yes. I love that movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> After graduating from high school, he began engineering courses at Georgia Southwestern College. He then transferred to the Georgia Institute of Technology in Atlanta, where he was accepted into the Naval Academy in okay. 1943. Okay. There, he met the love of his life, Rosalind Smith, who was a friend of his sister, Ruth. They actually knew each other since they were like little kids, but they kind of you know, traveled in different circles. Right, and then came back together. Yeah. So shortly after graduating from the Naval Academy with a degree in engineering, Jimmy and Rosalind married. They would later have four children, John, who went by Jack, James, who went by Chip, Donald, who went by Jeff, and Amy, who spent four years growing up in front of the country as the only child at home during the White House years. Oh, I do remember that. Okay. 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 It's coming back. It's coming back. (laughs) Carter entered the military and was stationed all over the place. From 1946 to 1953, Jimmy and Rosalind lived in Virginia, Hawaii, Connecticut, New York, and California. That's a lot of moving. Yes. Although a lot of those are East Coast, but then California. Yeah, Yeah, that's a lot of moves. And Hawaii. I I could handle Hawaii for sure. During that time, he was trained to work on submarines, and he was deployed on subs and eventually was the captain of a sub. When the U.S. submarine program started to move to a nuclear-powered subs, Carter became involved in the engineering aspects of that program. So over my head. He was planning on being part of the deployment of the second nuclear submarine, the Seawolf, when he was informed that his father had died of pancreatic cancer. Carter was honorably released from the U.S. Navy to go home and take care of the family farm. He continued to serve in the Navy Reserve. After the payment of the debts on the farm and gifts to other family members, Jimmy wasn't left with much in terms of his inheritance. Right. However, he decided to use science and technology in farming and expanded the family's peanut-growing business. After a tough first year, the farm became highly successful. Carter ran for Georgia State Senate on a platform of integration, which was a hot topic following the ruling Brown versus Board of Education, which required schools in America to be integrated. Rosalind was instrumental to his campaign and was recognized as having a sharp political instinct and strong organizational skills. It's sad to me that these women... They could have also been running if right. it were a different time. I but. was just going to say, maybe we need to do a Lillian Rosalind. Yeah. Just the women in the Carter the lives. Yes. When the votes were all tallied, Carter had lost. However, it was found that there had been an actual voter fraud by his opponent, and a new election was held, and this time Carter won. <laughs> wow. Also, History repeats itself. I guess I don't understand how that can happen, especially back then when there wasn't computers. Yeah. So that would be interesting to me. Like, how did they actually do that? We'll get to how he had traveled to make sure that doesn't happen in other countries. Okay. The Carter family had become such staunch JFK supporters, and civil rights was an important part of Carter's tenure as a state senator. He was very outspoken against remnants of segregation and laws that helped prevent blacks from voting, and he also was an advocate for education. In 1971, Carter won the race for governor of Georgia. Carter was criticized for moving off his civil rights platform during the race, but as Leroy Johnson, a black state senator in Georgia, said, I understand why he ran with that ultra-conservative campaign. I don't believe you can win in this state without being a racist. Ouch! Yes. Carter, after winning the governor's race, swung back to his more liberal tone, 
stating in his inaugural speech, the time of racial discrimination is over. This caused a lot of his supporters who believed in segregation to feel betrayed and made him unpopular in his state with the Georgia legislature. Hmm. Interesting. During his time as governor of Georgia, Carter made a lot of difficult budget cuts. He also, though, championed education throughout the state, set up services to help disabled children, and pushed environmental causes. Following his term as governor of Georgia, Carter started thinking about the White House. His aides pointed out that this would be a huge challenge. Outside of Georgia, only 2% of Americans even knew who Jimmy Carter was. That is a challenge. (laughs) Yeah. There were 16 other candidates for the Democratic Party. I was just going to say just for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Just for him to get on the ticket. They wanted to take on President Gerald Ford. Even his Democratic opponents used the phrase, Jimmy who? (laughs) Playing on his lack of national recognition. Jimmy started making regular appearances around the country, standing on his platform of inequality, optimism, and change, stating, my name is Jimmy Carter, and I'm running for president. The strategy worked because the (laughs) no-name candidate from Georgia pulled ahead in the polls. Basic. Yeah. I know. Basic. Which, too bad, more things of his. I wonder if that's what just caught people's attention, that it's just short to the point. Yeah. And it just gets in your brain. And change, because... Remember, they it was after Nixon, and they just... Oh, yes. Okay. So he became the Democratic presidential candidate. He chose U.S. Senator Walter Mondale from Minnesota as his running mate. And in November of 1976, Carter and Mondale won the presidential election over President Gerald Ford. Jimmy, Rosalind, and Amy Carter, who was nine... She, as I noted, she was the youngest Carter child. They walked to the Capitol building where he was sworn in to the White House leading the parade. Apparently, he was the first president to do that. And the jacket that he's wearing, he's wearing like a khaki-colored jacket. It wasn't his coat. He, like, borrowed it from a, I don't know if it's a Secret Service person or some <laughs> someone on his staff. And that coat is now at a museum, a Jimmy Carter museum. And the owner had said that he wants a little recognition on there. That that actually was <laughs> his actually coat. My but <laughs> apparently Jimmy Carter loved it and didn't want to return it. Oh my so, but like I said, I'm not going to spend that much time on his presidency for a variety of reasons. Carter's presidency was a mixed bag at the very least. He's not going down in history as a great president. As I noted, he's my favorite president, but not for his presidency. Right. Much of that was due to factors that he didn't have a lot of control over. In many ways, his presidency was ahead of its time. He championed civil rights, was pro-environment, pro-education, and he was huge into pro-peace. Oh, okay. Yeah. He championed solar power and even had solar panels put on the White House. The next president, Ronald Reagan, would have them removed. Do you know which president brought solar panels back to the White House? After Ronald Reagan had them removed? No. George W. Bush. Oh, good for him. So, yes. Carter's probably best known for his success in brokering peace between Israel and Egypt. President Carter invited Egyptian President Anwar Sadat and Menachem Begum, the Prime Minister of Israel, to Camp David, the presidential retreat. Despite years of war and hostilities, over 13 days, Carter helped negotiate a settlement that ended the war between Israel and Egypt. Interestingly, it was Rosalind who suggested using Camp David for the negotiations after a family retreat there. Once again, Mm. 
The lady. The lady. (laughs) She thought it had a nice calming feel and would be very private for the negotiations. The talks broke down several times, and it was Carter who would get the leaders back to the negotiation table. The last time he did so, he was in jeans and a t-shirt as he ran across Camp David to keep Prime Minister Bigham from leaving the talks. I was just thinking, too, that nature is a calming influence. Like, yes, I always joke with my coworkers, instead of a sit down meeting, can we all take a walk? Yeah, get outside. And I just wonder if that was that something probably, they could yeah. do. I don't know if it's private enough for that, but. Probably would have been because outside you don't have, well, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes that's a nice break. Yeah. So Carter knew the names of all eight of Begin's grandchildren and asked Prime Minister Begin to think of them during the talks. Pretty impressive. I'm I mean, impressed. he did his he did his homework. Yes. The pre the or peace, his staff did. Well, I'm sure his staff did. But hey, but kudos they to still, them too. Yeah, exactly. The peace treaty was finished later that day. Carter was also the first president to spend any serious amount of time addressing Africa and the first president to visit Nigeria. Carter pushed to help establish democracies in Africa, which had just emerged from a long history of colonial rule from European countries. Carter established the Department of Education and expanded the Head Start program. Oh, wow. Which is still going on. Yes. To an additional 43,000 families. The amount of money spent on education by the federal government doubled under Carter. He also established the Department of Energy, which develops energy policy and specifically controls the use of nuclear energy and nuclear weapons. Carter, right away, had pardoned all of the men who had avoided the draft for the Vietnam War, Mm. which... Was controversial. Yes, but, I mean, you said that one of his big... Pro-peace. I mean, he was... was, for peace. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he just... That was his... He was just so honest, and he believed it was the correct thing to do. Right. Didn't make him popular, that's for sure. Right. Carter's first year of the presidency went pretty well. He had high approval ratings, Mm -hmm. and his relaxed way of doing things was popular at the time. Instead of fancy state dinners, he had barbecues, which I can totally get behind that. Oh, me too. He was often photographed wearing jeans, and his southern accent made him seem more like a regular guy. Yes. He just seemed relatable. Agree. To many Americans. But that didn't last long. Problems began to mount for President Carter. Carter didn't have a great relationship with Congress, even though they were his own party. This made passing legislation difficult. Issues in the Middle East, particularly Iran, were driving up the cost of oil and gas prices increased significantly, caused inflation and increased loss of jobs. While Carter took steps to decrease inflation, largely by big cuts in the deficit, those steps didn't do enough to decrease inflation. Well, a lot of times it takes a little bit. It's it does. It's not instantaneous. Oh, no. No. I know. That's the hard part. And now we can look back and see, but at the time, you know. Yes. Hindsight. Yes, <laughs> 2020. There were long lines at the pump, and Americans began to blame Carter, even though the actual causes were out of his control. In 1979, a group of students in Iran stormed the American embassy and took 52 American embassy employees as hostages. I kind of sort of remember this. I only remember it, but it's more in terms of Reagan. Because I remember my dad talking about Mm -hmm. it when Reagan was being Mm -hmm. elected. The students wanted the Shah of Iran, who was in the United States for medical treatment when the revolution began, to be returned to Iran to be punished. The U.S. refused to do so. 
Carter ordered a military rescue attempt using helicopters, but the mission was aborted before it even started, as several of the helicopters to be used in the mission had problems. To make it worse, the whole mission was revealed after one of the helicopters crashed into an air tanker, causing an explosion and a fire that killed eight servicemen and one Iranian civilian. The hostages were held for 444 days, and the hostages were released unharmed only moments after President Reagan was sworn in. Despite the Carter administration negotiating for the release, they thought that that release of the hostages at the end of President Carter's term was designed to punish Carter for supporting the Shah of Iran. So also in 1979, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan. Carter tried diplomatic means to get the Soviet Union to leave Afghanistan, but was not successful. In protest, Carter decided that the United States would not participate in the 1980 Olympics to be held in Moscow. Fifty other countries joined the boycott. I kind of remember this. It's safe to say that Jimmy Carter's presidency was a difficult one. In part, this is due to him wanting to do the right thing, regardless of whether it helped him politically. He often pushed unpopular political platforms because he believed them to be the right thing for Americans to do. Well, he was just principled as well as stubborn. Despite his attempts to do the right thing, outside forces created doubt about his presidency, and in 1980, he lost the presidential election to Ronald Reagan. I said earlier that it wasn't Jimmy Carter's presidency that inspired me. It's what he did after it ended. It's often been said that Jimmy Carter's the best ex-president. Yes. With an emphasis on ex. I don't know if that's such a horrible thing, though. I hope not. I I still feel like that's good. I I was just going to say, I think that's kind of a compliment. Because I think you have to be, like, he was too good of a guy. Right. Too decent of a man to make a good president. Right. So I I just still feel like that's a compliment. It's a compliment. Yes. When he left the White House, he was 56 years old. He moved back to the farm in Plains, Georgia. The peanut farm was not doing so great after years away as governor and then president. So most of the farm and the peanut warehouse were sold. But Jimmy and Rosalind remained in their family home, and Amy started high school in Plains. Jimmy went back to teaching Sunday school. Can you imagine having the president of the United <laughs> States teaching your Sunday school Those class? Those kids were the most well-behaved <laughs> I'm kids. Sure. He took up woodworking again, something he enjoyed when he was younger. And he started doing repairs around the farmhouse as directed by Rosalind. I'm sure his Secret Service detail loved when he'd go down to the stream to fish for trout. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Sounds delicious, though. Just fresh Uh, trout. Bring it on in. I just, just picturing all of it. Yeah, all these suits around him. (laughs) Exactly. He's down there fishing. World leaders would occasionally drop by the farmhouse to meet with him, including both Israeli Prime Minister Begin and Egyptian President Sadat. As most presidents set up presidential libraries, Carter wanted to do something different with his. Instead of just having a presidential library, which is usually a museum to his president's term in office, preserving speeches, letters, photographs, and other memorabilia, Carter wanted to create a place dedicated to peace. The Carter Center in Atlanta, Georgia, is a nonprofit organization founded on fundamental commitment to human rights and the alleviation of human suffering, which I... I love that alleviation of human suffering. Get behind because he just loved people. Mm -hmm. You know, his heart was for people. Mm -hmm. The center seeks to prevent and resolve conflicts, enhance freedom and democracy, and improve health around the world. Since its founding in 1982, it's made a huge difference to many all around the world. It led a coalition that reduced the infection rate of Guinea worm disease, which was a real thing. I looked it up. (laughs) 
It's a painful parasitic disease that used to infect 3.5 million people per year, mostly in Africa. Okay. And the worms get in through tainted water. They multiply in the abdominal cavity, and they burrow out through the legs. Oh, that sounds Doesn't that so sound painful. like a tor- I mean, when you say suffering, yeah. to me, that sounds like suffering. Yeah. Sounds like a horrible movie. Yes. It sounds like a horror movie that I wouldn't believe if it really Alien. were. Yeah. Yeah. But the number of affected people has been reduced by 99.5% oh and is on the verge of eradication. That's amazing. So that's a huge success for our ex-president. The Carter Center also strengthened democracy worldwide by being election observers in over 113 elections. So as oh, I said, yes. Carter being one of the guys, they would watch it in 39 countries to make sure elections were being conducted fairly. That's amazing. Yeah. The center has also helped with peace negotiations in Ethiopia, Liberia, Sudan, Uganda, the Korean Peninsula, Haiti, Bosnia, Herzegovina. All right. And the Middle East. It's helped develop village-based healthcare in thousands of communities in Africa, including training healthcare workers who help distribute medical care and provide health education. It's been a watchdog group to uphold international standards for human rights and has brought human rights abuse issues to public attention. It's created a network of organizations that provide health education and disease prevention information to neglected communities in Africa and Latin America. And as Rosalind's pet project, they have made efforts to improve mental health care around the world and provide education to help diminish the stigma against people with mental illness. Wow. Love that. I'm sure that's ongoing. Absolutely. Yes. Carter was personally asked by President George W.H. Bush to monitor elections in Panama and Nicaragua. I think that's, I just think that's cute. Yes, I love it. Then President Bill Clinton asked Carter to be involved in peace negotiations with Haiti, Sudan, Bosnia, where he helped negotiate peace. I just love that instead of some sort of vanity project, he made his presidential library into something that's helped the world and will continue to do so even after he's gone. Mm-hmm. In 1984, Jimmy and Rosalind both rolled up their sleeves and started doing work for the Habitat for Humanity to build houses for the poor of Georgia. And while most former politicians lend their name and power by being on the board of an organization, the Carters got their hands dirty by actually working on the construction, which I just so <laughs> I admire. <love> <laughs> Jimmy started doing this in 1984, and there are pictures of him still working on houses in 2022. 97 years old, approximately. That's 38 years of building houses for Habitat of Humanity. From 1984 to 2019, the Carters helped build an entire house each year. So so cool. In 1999, President Bill Clinton gave both Jimmy and Rosalind Carter the Presidential Medal of Honor, which is the highest civilian award in the United States. In 2002, Jimmy received the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in resolving conflicts, both as a president and as a civilian. He's written a ton of books, and I think that's where he's made the majority of his money. Many are about his presidency, but he's written about other things, a lot about his faith, his childhood, negotiating peace, and even a novel taking place in the American Revolution. Interesting. It's I didn't the, know that. I didn't know that either. And apparently it's the first novel written by a president. They've written books, but not right. novels. Right. 
So he also has a book of poetry and children's picture books with illustrations done by his daughter, Amy. Rosalind has authored four books of her own, so she, once again, is on my list. Yes. In 2015, he was first diagnosed with cancer, and he was told he only had a few weeks to live. But his treatment worked, and he beat cancer for the first time. In 2019, he had a fall at his home and broke his hip. He recovered from that only to have another fall a few months later where he hit his head on a cabinet and had to have 14 stitches over his eye. Part of what I love about him is that he was in his 90s then, and there are photos of him with a huge bandage across his forehead while he's out hammering for Habitat for Humanity. His cancer would later come back in both his brain and liver. Sad to me because I just always, he kept beating it, and I just always, I felt like he's going to just live forever. Yes. I mean, be frail, but he's going to live forever. Yes. Jimmy credits his faith with his ability to keep going. Even into his 90s, he still was teaching Sunday school. I know. Isn't that adorable? Halfway through his 94th year, he became the oldest president to ever live. George H.W. Bush had previously held that. Oh, okay. Another thing I didn't know. I didn't either. In 2021, Carter joined President Bill Clinton, George W. Bush, and Barack Obama in filming a commercial to encourage Americans to get the COVID vaccine. All of the former first ladies joined in, too, which I just think is cute. (laughs) I I I love it. In July of 2021, Jimmy and Rosalind celebrated their 75th wedding anniversary. Wow. All four children, 22 grandchildren, and great-grandchildren visit the farm regularly. Many of them are staying nearby while Jimmy's in hospice care. Speaking about his life, Jimmy Carter told the New York Times the following, I have one life and one chance to make it count for something. My faith demands that I do whatever I can, wherever I am, wherever I can, for as long as I can, with whatever I have to try to make a difference. I just love that. I love that, too. The world would be a much better place if people just took a little bit of that Jimmy Carter, that concept, and lived it. Regardless of what anybody thinks about Jimmy Carter as a president, nobody can deny that he's anything but a great human being. I'm so inspired by his faith and by his decision to make a difference. Just such an amazing man. We become not a melting pot, but a beautiful mosaic. Different people, different beliefs. Different yearnings, different hopes, different dreams. Jimmy Carter. So with Jimmy Carter being a Navy guy, I thought it'd be a good time to talk about Sid Bush, another naval guy. I couldn't help but smile when I read that Sid wanted to work on a submarine after watching the Disney movie 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Probably the opposite of me. I don't want to work on a submarine. <laughs> oh, my gosh. When we were at Pearl Harbor, we went on one and just claustrophobic. I can't That's imagine, I mean. like, <laughs> like, sleeping. And, oh, my gosh, yeah, just all of it. Yes. And 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was not my favorite movie, but it was my favorite ride at Disneyland for a while. Remember that oh, submarine ride? Oh, and now it's and, Nemo. Yeah. <laughs> but back in the day, it was... All those fish and the little mermaid at the end that waved at you. On it, that was cute. Right, Sid spent 26 years in the Navy, but it's what he's doing after his service that inspires me. He's run 205 marathons, at least 70 of those with a three by five foot flag. The flag is four pounds, which I know doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're running a marathon, 
It is. I would think also the drag. Yeah, because it's, it's it. up there flying. And he said that it gets heavier at mile 20. <laughs> <laughs> Only at 20? I'd say mile 2. <laughs> I wrote a piece for Run Oregon on an Oregonian I met while running a marathon on Swan Island, okay. which is our neck of the woods. He had an American flag. He's a high school teacher in Canby, and I think everyone should follow him on Instagram because he loves his country, works to continue to educate and improve it for everyone. He's truthful and wise beyond his years. He recently shared his pictures from his 30th Bruce Springsteen concert. 30th. Yeah, I think that was last night here in Portland. 30 of his concerts. I've seen John Mayer three times. I don't know if that's quite the same. (laughs) So for anyone looking for a hopeful and very inspiring page to follow on Instagram, Bob Hammett, two, as in the number two, so two M's, two T's, and the number two, Bob Hammett, um, he's on Instagram, and he also has several trivia books, which are really fun to do with the family, so everybody should check him out. But anyway, back to Sid. (laughs) Yes. For Sid, he got tired of hearing about Charlie Sheen and Lindsay Lohan and wanted to get other names in the news, heroes who deserved attention yes, but are too often forgotten or not even known about for that matter. Right. I've never heard this name. No, I know. And people should. Yes. It just baffles me. The people that are famous and sometimes for nothing. Being famous. Yeah. Influencers that do what? And then there are people that are giving their lives, and you don't know a thing about them. Yeah. To get those names out there, Sid runs in honor of a fallen soldier, or recently he's included some first responders as well. He'll run the race with a picture of the soldier, names, and a few stats included, and then he'll mail the medal. Or actually, no, he doesn't mail it. He delivers it in person to the family after the race. What a great idea. Isn't that sweet? Yes. He's also run to honor others. He ran for a young boy who had cerebral palsy, and he gave his Boston Marathon medal to the boy. When people ask him if he regrets giving away medals, he pulls up a picture of that little boy. Mm-hmm. And he's, you know, he's said it's so much more rewarding. Yes. Seeing the look on his also, face and how happy he is. Not that I'm knocking people for having medals, but... It would just be hanging on a wall. Exactly. Or hanging, you know, on a hook. Collecting dust. Right. Yeah. Right. I got tired of, I mean, I have a few on the tree that are my ornaments, like my Boston ones on the tree or gorgeous relays on my tree. So I think it's really sweet that he does this. I love that idea. Sid estimates that he's run 100 miles in place in a submarine. Oh, Even getting some hill work in, too. He would just have the crew put an angle on the sub while he's running in place. That's how he trained on the submarine. Remember how stinking tiny they are. It's like a little treadmill. I know. (laughs) I know. He's run with 50 fallen soldiers pinned to his shirt. And while he'd rather run with them, it's the next best thing he can do to keep their memory alive and remind others of the sacrifices that people have given for our country. Times might range from 450 to 723. And he just last year did his last half marathon. He walked it because he had a heart attack. So I think he's got to take it a little bit easier. Right. He's humble as can be and doesn't like the attention on himself, but he understands that's part of the deal. He has to put up with the attention and redirect it to the cause. Right. And he's willing to pay that price. He was a sonar technician. 
He also knows the pain that these families are going through. As in 1974, his wife was taking their one-year-old to a doctor's appointment, and they were struck by a drunk driver on the way there, and both of them died. So he was out on a sub... I know. I... You're one year, yeah. So he's out on the submarine, and I think it, he was stuck for like two days out there before they could go get him and bring him back in. But so he knows pain too, but he's trying yes, to help he these families get through their struggles. A little light. Yes, exactly. And that's all it takes for these families. I right. mean, they can't bring him back, obviously, but no. they just so admire him and appreciate what he's doing to keep people knowing who their kids were. He got into running, actually, after hurting his back. Oh. And so he's in the Navy. He wasn't going to be allowed to be on a submarine. And that's the whole reason he wanted to be in the Navy. So he made a deal with, you know, the supervisors that if he could run a marathon, he'd be approved to stay. So that's why he got into running. They made a deal. training. Yes. And then he started running to honor people after his cousin was killed on September 11th in 2001. They had run six marathons together, so Sid dedicated his next six marathons to his cousin. And that's kind of what started this. And I just, I so admire this guy. I think everyone should go watch Run for Heroes. It's on YouTube. It's only like 20 minutes and has a couple of the families and several of the heroes at the end. It has everyone's name that he has run for. And it's just a really sweet movie, little documentary. Yes. Short, super short. A leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. Rosalind Carter. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week. So it's safe to say that Jimmy Carter's pregnancy was a...